this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. This is one of my absolute favorite passages of scripture. It's one of those things that if you and I can just catch this idea, it could revolutionize the way we stand and build for our families. So for five months now, for five months, we've been talking about standing through the storm. We've been talking about building our house on the solid rock. It's been five months that we've been talking about this. We know the storm isn't just coming, but it's here. Am I right? The storm is here. All you gotta do is look at the sign at the gas station and I can feel the wind blowing. Am I right? I mean, the storm is here, and so we thought we would stop and take a year or so and just really, really talk about building our house. And I hope to help you, to assist you in building your house so that you can stand through the storm. And and for the last several weeks, we've been talking about building for your family. So we talked about having a vision for your family several weeks ago. Uh, Two weeks ago, Stephen Mansell stood here and he talked about how you, builder, you have authority from the king. That you aren't just, you know, trying to eke your way through and figure it out, but that the king has given you his authority and responsibility to build your family. Last week, Ken Can talked about if you're going to build, uh, you got to assess your family's situation and you've got to cast vision. And we're looking through Nehemiah's story to discover how he built the walls for his people, his tribe, his family and how, what we can learn, what we can learn so that we can become effective builders as God has called us to do, because this is your life's great work. I I would think somebody would amen that. Because your family is your life's great work. It's not your business. It's not your retirement. It's not your house. You know, your bank account is not your life's work. Your job is not your life's work. Your family is your life's great work. Have you settled on that yet? Have you settled on the fact that that there's nothing more important in this life than your role in your family? Did Did you catch that? Lee, did you catch that? I mean, there's nothing, this is your life's great work. There's nothing that you will do in your life that will echo into future generations and will echo into eternity more than what you do in your family. And I don't care if you're the the father, the mother, the husband, the wife, the son, the daughter, the aunt, the uncle, I don't care what your role is, it is your life's great work. So I want you to just take a second and close your eyes with me. Just close your eyes with me. And in your mind's eye, with your eyes closed, look into the faces of your life's great work. Who is that? 
your spouse, your kids, your parents, your brothers and sisters, your aunts and uncles, your grandkids. This is your life's great work. This is what you were put here for. And I just want to encourage you, it's the first blank on your page. You can go ahead and write this down. God has a big vision for your family, for those people that you just visualized. God has a big vision for your family, don't you? Don't you have a big vision for your family? Don't you want to raise not just happy kids, but strong, godly adults? Don't you have a vision for a marriage that endures for the rest of your life? Don't you have a vision for unity and peace and joy in your family life? Don't you have a vision to see your loved ones in heaven with you? Don't you have a vision for peace rather than division and disunity in your family, right? Don't you have a big vision for your family? Okay, one of you said yes, and one other coughed. I'm not sure if we have. Do you know that this is your life's great work? And God put you here for this very thing. It's so important. It's so important, right? Because what you do, how you build will to some large degree determine the future for your children. How you build will determine the future for your spouse. How you build will define the hope for your grandchildren. How you build will echo into not just the next generations, but into eternity for everybody you're connected to in your family. This is your life's great work. And God put you there for this. I'm so grateful for my family. I'm so grateful for my family. My wife and I, we've been married for 32 years. 32 years. Yeah, come on. You are very patient and kind. And we both serve together here as a team at the Orchard Church. In the last service, my mom and dad were here. They live close by to us. They've been married for 57 years. Yeah, come on. And they served together. They were both sitting right back there wearing the purple Hello Orchard t-shirts because they're in their 80s and they serve on the greeting team. It's pretty amazing stuff. Our children, Zachary and Lauren, they know God. And they are raising their children to love Jesus. They're married to wonderful, godly spouses and we are as involved in their lives as they want us to be. Sometimes it's a little much. I mean, we're not intruding on them. Our daughter just won't stop calling. I'm not kidding. I literally have to turn my phone off before coming up here because she'll be like, oh, I wonder if dad's preaching right now. So she'll call me 
in the middle of the message just to see if my phone is on silent, won't she? Little turd. Um, <laughs> we love our, I mean, we're involved in their life. Heck, we go on family vacations together, three generations. It's wonderful to be part of our family. And I promise you, after 32 years, I can promise you this. We did not just dumb luck into this. We built this, am I right? We built this. It took intentionality. It took having a vision and a direction, a purpose and goals. It meant discipline. It meant sacrifice. But we have built this today. We didn't just fall into this. And I know that's not the case with all families. For some families, there is no vision, there is no plan, and no wonder there's a bunch of division and strife. For some of us, I know in this room, for some of us, you, the parent, you, the grandparent, you've done everything as best as you can. You've done everything right as far as you know, but still there's pain and there's division and there's difficulty. For some of you, you've, you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, and yet still your kids don't want anything to do with you. I talked to a, a family, a couple, right out here after the last service, here every Sunday in the first service. They were saved late in life, and they've developed a real passion in their relationship with Christ. And all the rest of their family has backed away from the crazy religious people and will have nothing to do with them. Man, they're getting their life on track. They've discovered their purpose and their direction, and it's leading them somewhere that their family's not willing to go at this time. And we prayed because I could feel the pain radiating off of them. For a lot of us, there's there's strife and division. For a lot of us, a lot of us have been through ugly, difficult separations and families have had to pick sides. For some of us in our families, there's been abuse or there's ongoing manipulation, you know, and it's all developed rather than love and joy and family vacations. It's anger and hurt and bitterness and resentment and even hatred. And if that's you, if you're kind of in that boat in your family to some degree, I would just like to tell you, of course your family's that way because Satan hates you building your house. He hates you building it and he wants to jump in there and create gaps in your wall wherever he can. If your life's work is building your house, Satan's life work is destroying your house. That's what he is out to do. He wants to create gaps in your wall. He wants to do anything he can to stop you from building. In fact, next mic on your page, the accuser wants to destroy your vision. God's called you to a vision for your family and the accuser wants to destroy that vision. 
Nehemiah's story shows us a little bit of how this works. You remember Nehemiah had been sent to his home to Jerusalem to build the wall. The king had given him authority, had given him all the stuff he needed and said, go build the wall. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem to build the wall. He arrives and he, he goes around the city and he assesses the wall situation. And then he gathers everybody together and he casts a vision. He says, uh, let's build this wall. If you'll do this, if you'll do this, and if we'll all get together, and if we build this wall, then it will glorify God and protect the people. We'll be one once again, and our enemies will not be able to defeat us. And everybody was like, woohoo, let's build the wall. Everybody gets really, really, really excited and is ready to jump on the building project. Okay, well, almost everybody. There were a few people who did not think this was a great idea. I want to look at their story just a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me, in Nehemiah 2. Look at this. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. So who are these guys? Who are Sam Ballad and Tobiah and Geshem? Well, they're just the local thugs. They're the local criminals. They're the ones that loved the wall of the city being in disrepair. They loved the gaps in the wall because they were the local raiders. And they would gather their group together every now and then, and they'd come raid the city. They would plunder and pillage and rape. They would take whatever they wanted from the people of God. They loved the walls being destroyed because they profited off of the bad, broken down walls. Maybe you have family members that thrive on disunity. Maybe you got family members that are always sticking their nose where it doesn't belong. Huh? Maybe you got family members that love to, to create division. They love to gossip or complain. Well, everybody loves each other, but nobody loves me in this family. We, we got that. Right? Maybe you got that going on. Maybe, maybe you got somebody always trying to exert their dominance in your family and tear down the wall, keep it torn down. Maybe you have a sand ballot accusing you. Maybe you got somebody who is verbally attacking what you are trying to build, just like these guys were doing. They didn't want the wall rebuilt. They wanted to retain their dominance. They wanted to continue to benefit from the disaster. But look how Nehemiah responds. I love how he responds in Nehemiah 2. He says this, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you... Sam Ballot, you Tobiah, you Geshem, you have no share, no legal right, nor any historic claim in Jerusalem. I love it. He didn't get drawn into the argument. He didn't go and apologize to him. He didn't try to make everybody happy. He just knew where his authority came from. He just knew he had been sent to his people by the king and that it was his job to build a king glorifying wall to rebuild the house of God. 
That's what his job was. And so he was not going to get into the argument. He was just going to be obedient. And so he looked at these guys and he says, who even are you? You don't have any authority here. You don't have any reign here. So you can just shut up. Take your act somewhere else. We're building this house for the glory of God. We are going to stand and we're going to build this house and we know that we are on the winning side. Hey, sometimes in your family, you just got to draw hard lines. Because sometimes we got family members that are just toxic to us. They're mouthpieces of Satan himself. And they'd much rather stir up controversy than build together for God's glory. And you might not ever want to look at them and say, you have no authority here. You can shut up and take your act somewhere else. You might not want to do that. But sometimes you do have to draw some hard lines. Because if you are going to be walking the path of God, not everybody is going to be willing to go with you. And you might have to choose, am I going to go their way or am I going to go God's way? Are we going to build a house that glorifies this or are we going to build in such a way that glorifies God? Sometimes you got to draw hard lines and it stinks. It stinks. It hurts because you don't want to do that. But sometimes you got to tell Satan to shut the heck up. So you want unity and sometimes you've got to get rid of the divider in the family. But sure enough, even as they were getting their act together, even as they were starting to get ready to build, they continued to hear from the local thugs, right? From Samballot and his people. So in Nehemiah 4, Samballot is furious and he's fuming and he's with his buddies there and they're talking in such a way that everybody knows what they're saying. And Samballot says this, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? They actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that. In other words, you got nothing to work with. All you got is garbage to work with. And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a little fox walked along the top of it. They're mocking and they're making fun of Nehemiah and his people. In my mind, all I can see here is Biff Tannen and his lackeys picking on Marty McFly. Hello, McFly, hello. That's all I get. Does anybody remember that movie? Yeah. <laughs> Back to, yeah, at the 80s. Cause they're bullies and they're just mocking and accusing. Why does Satan continue to come and to pick at you? Why does he continue to make fun of you, to mock you? Why does he continue to do that? i tell you why. Because he knows what you know. He knows that he has already lost. 
He knows he's already lost. The battle has been won already at the cross. Praise the Lord. And he may not be able to win the war, but dude, if he can win the battle in your mind, then you might just go down without a fight. He knows he's lost, but maybe he can trick you into thinking that you've lost. But you, my friend, if you're in Christ, you're on the winning team. You are an overcomer. You are living the victorious, abundant life that Jesus bought for you. Yet he continues to accuse and accuse and accuse you. That's what he does. That's why he's called the accuser. Is he's going to pick at you and try to win the battle of your mind so that you'll give up, so that you'll quit building for your family, so that those gaps will continue to exist in your wall. And so that everything will end up being a disaster. He wants to win that battle in your mind. That's why it's so important, so important for you and I to have our minds saturated in the word of God. So important for us because that battle starts right here. He wants to get it right here. So you've got to be prepared for action right here. That's why Paul tells us to let God transform you by changing the way that you think. You and I are born into broken, weak, sinful thought patterns. And God is out to change you from the inside out by changing the way that you think so that you can win this war before it even gets started. Let him change the way you think. How does, how does he do that? What does he do in your life? What does he give you? He gives you his word, right? In Hebrews, it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And look at what it does. It it cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. He has given you this offensive weapon that cuts deep. This isn't some little pocket knife that he's given you. He's given you this offensive weapon that helps you discern right from wrong, good from bad, vision from accusation. He helps you to figure it out by being immersed in his word. That's what it does in our lives. That's why Moses wrote to his people in Deuteronomy. He says, listen, listen, Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And, he says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Now listen, he says this, if you want to build a strong family, if you want to set a good wall, if you want to really build for God's glory and for the strength of your family, here's how you do it. Here's how to do it. Love God and be committed to his word, right, so far? Love God and be committed to his word. You want to build, love God, be committed to his word. And then he goes on and he says, here's how to do it. He says, he's talking about the commands of God, the word of God. And he says, repeat it again and again to your children. 
Let me repeat that. Repeat the word of God again and again to your children. I'm going to say it one more time. Repeat it again and again to your children. Okay, how are you going to repeat it if you don't know it? This is our thing. We're great at repeating what, you know, Tucker Carlson says. We're great at repeating what Ben Shapiro and Sean Hannity say. We're great at repeating, you know, the, the party line. We know that stuff. But are we immersed in the word of God? How are you going to win this fight? Because the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They're not Republican weapons and they're not Democrat weapons. They're not election weapons. They're not cultural weapons. The weapon that he's given us cuts much deeper than any of that. Why do you keep playing around with crappy little temporary broken down weapons? Repeat it again and again to your children. Not only that, he goes on, talk about them when you're at home. Oh, but wait, talk about them when you are on the road. Oh, but wait, talk about them when you're going to bed. And also when you're getting up, when do you never, when do you not talk about it? Ne never. You, when do you stop talking about the word of God? Never. He's saying always be talking about the word of God. That means not just repeating the word of God, but be talking about it. Hey, honey, I, I was reading in Isaiah today. I was reading, I was reading that favorite passage in Isaiah 43. Where's Jay sat? He was here a minute ago. Did he leave? He went to the, of course he went to the bathroom right now. But that Isaiah passage says, when you're going through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you're going through the troubles and the difficulties in life, I will be there. You will be strong and you will survive and accomplish what I've called you to do. That's a powerful passage. I'm glad that's his favorite passage. And when you talk about it, hey, I, I read that again today and here's what I'm struggling with and, and here's what I'm going through, but here's what God's word is telling me right now. Well, that's power. That's power in your life. We settle for talking about what the crazy Democrats did or what the idiot Republicans did. And we're talking about how much money's being spent and how bad inflation is. And boy, we'll repeat that over and over and over again. Why aren't we talking about the word of God so that we win this battle before it even gets started? No wonder we're losing. No wonder it looks like everything's going to crap because we're talking about all the wrong things. He goes on and he says this. He says, right, he says, tie them, the commands I'm giving you today, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, every, everywhere I look, I can't get away from the word of God. That's how we ought to be, that saturated, that immersed in the word of God. He says this in verse 10, he says, uh, after you write them on the doorposts and on your gates, he says, the Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What he's saying is God's promise is true. He's promised that you will win this. He's promised that he's gonna bring you into the land of victory. Do you trust him? 
Well, fix your eyes on him. Always be talking about him. Always be aligning yourself and your family toward him and win this before the battle even gets started. Can I get an amen from anybody in the room? God's word, so important. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's the perfect law that gives freedom. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us what is right. God uses his word to equip his people to do good work. And it accomplishes everything God wants it to accomplish and it prospers everywhere he sends it. The word of God is the only thing that will counteract the mocking accusation of your enemy. God's word is affirming and life-giving. It will build you up rather than tear you down. Be saturated in the word of God. Is God's word the focal point of your meditation? Is it the definer of your mentality, your attitude, your outlook, or your worldview? Because I'm just, I, I just know how we roll. <coughs> I know how I'll tend to roll. I know that you will spend more hours, most likely this week, sitting in front of Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity than you will sitting in front of the throne of God. What is shaping you? What is building your mind? What is defining your thoughts? I'm not against Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity, but what's defining you? Netflix? Facebook? TikTok? Where do you invest your time and energy? What is saturating you? You are what you eat. Hello? Do you meditate on the word of God or have you already given up on the battle? Nehemiah and his people continued to work hard to build the wall. They got about halfway done, but the threats of their thug enemies continued. Here's what happens. As the wall was completed to half its height, about halfway done around the entire city, uh, because the people were working with enthusiasm, it says this. Um, did I skip a verse? I think I might have skipped a verse. Here it is. Nope, that's not it. Nehemiah 4, 7, and 8. Um, the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. The enemies were furious. Samballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, even more people now, they were furious. And they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw us, Nehemiah says, to throw us into confusion. Here's what I'm seeing. If Satan can't win the battle in your mind, you better believe he'll come to put up a fight. You better believe he's going to come on the offensive. He will attack if he can't win the battle in your mind. He knows that what you are building matters. He knows that even though there may still be gaps in your wall, that you are building something that will not just echo into the next generations, but will echo into eternity. Because he knows you're building on the strongest of foundations. Builder, 
See, one of the things I love about Nehemiah is he did not have to dig and pour a whole new foundation. You see, they were able to make this wall secure because the foundation was already there and in place. The walls had been torn down, but the foundation was still solid. I love this because next month, Sherry, we're going to go there and we're going to get to touch some of those very same foundation stones that Nehemiah and his people built upon. We're going to get to touch those very still in place today. They weren't just strong enough for Jerusalem thousands of years ago, but they're still holding the wall up today, thousands of years later. Thousands of years later, what Nehemiah did matters. And what you are doing in your family matters because you're building on a strong, solid foundation. I promise you, Satan would leave you the heck alone and would let you build if you're building on anything else. If you're choosing to build your life, your family on any foundation other than Jesus, he's probably just going to leave you the heck alone. Because frankly, if you're building it on your own wisdom, on your own ability, on your own experience, on your own preferences. If you're building on yourself, I got news for you, sand, you shift. You shift. You know you're not dependable. I know I'm not dependable. I know I can't depend on myself because I don't know what I'm talking about half the time. And just when I think I got everything right, it all collapses around me because I build broken things. And if I'm building on myself, Satan is happy about that because if I'm building on my own shifting sand, he doesn't have to attack me. All he's gotta do is wait till the weather gets bad because the storm is gonna blow and any house built on the shifting, shifting sand, can't even say it, is what's gonna happen to that house. It's gonna come crashing down it's going to come crashing right down. So Satan, in the form of Sandballot, would come to you and say, please build your life on your own wisdom. Please rely on yourself to build this house. He would say, please just keep focusing your kids on sports, not church. Please keep secrets from your spouse. Please let the media influence you as much as possible. Man, keep that thing on uh, play all the time. Please spend more hours in front of the glowing rectangle than in front of the Word of God. Please build your house on anything and everything other than Jesus Christ. Because as long as you keep doing that, the enemy doesn't have to fight. He's just got to wait you out. The storm will come, and if you're building your house on shifting sands, your house will fall, and the enemy gets exactly what he wants without even having to do anything. You did it to yourself. You did it to your family. You built a broken wall. But that's not who you are. Am I right? That's not who you are. 
You, builder, are building something much bigger, much better, on a much stronger foundation. You are aware that you and I are stuck in the brokenness of this world. You don't have to be a genius to figure out that this world is broken by sin. Am I right? And it affects us all the way from top to bottom, inside and out. And all of us are living in the effects of sin all around us. And not only does that keep us separated from God and keeps us unable to accomplish the thing he dreams for us to accomplish, but it keeps us under the judgment of God because the wages of sin is death. A holy king punishes treasonous criminals. And so the wages that I deserve of sin, my sin, is death. But God loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus, who had no sin. And Jesus goes to that cross and God takes all of my sin, all of your sin, all the sin you've ever committed in the past, all the sin you will ever commit in the future. And he blames Jesus for what you've done. And he literally punishes Jesus instead of punishing me and you. And Jesus dies for my sin, is buried in that tomb. We're gonna get to go walk in that empty tomb next month because three days later he rose again. And now he lives to bring me and you the abundant life that only he can give us. He gives us the authority from the king and the responsibility to build the way he has designed us to build. And that's what these people with Nehemiah were doing. The thugs were accusing, but in Nehemiah 4 and 9, Nehemiah says, we prayed to our God and we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. We prayed and we guarded. We prayed and we guarded. What did they do? They prayed and they <coughs> Good, next blank on your page. My job is to pray and to guard. To pray and to guard. It's to guard myself. Don't keep secrets from my spouse. Don't be looking that I know I shouldn't be on. Don't be putting myself in compromising situations. You're good at doing this with your kids. You're good at guarding them. You're good at giving them boundaries. I mean, literally, when your kid is little, you put them in a cage in your living room so they won't hurt themselves. When they're toddlers and toddling around the house, you literally put locks on the cabinets that even you have a hard time figuring out so that they won't hurt themselves. Right, when they're in elementary school, you keep the bad influences away from them. You, you, you train them, you guard them, you say, okay, yes, you can go out and play, but not until you do your homework first. Right, yes, you can watch TV, but not until you do your chores. Right, you're good at guarding your kids, but are you good at guarding yourself? Are you good at guarding your own heart against Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem when they come to tear you down? These guys prayed and they guarded. They worked early and late, sunrise to sunset, because they knew they wanted to build this house. They knew what they were doing matters. This was their great work. Are you doing your great work? Because your family needs you to build for them. They want peace. 
They want unity. They want justice. And I know how you feel. Your kid's future is a non-negotiable. Am I right? Your kid's future is a non You're not going to give up your kid's future to the enemy, right? So I'm going to say it again. Your kid's future is non-negotiable, right? Okay, as long as we're on the same page. The success of your marriage is a non-negotiable. Am I right? You want a marriage that endures forever. Yet the accuser wants you to negotiate. He wants to come and say, well, you know, your marriage, it's good. I mean, I'm glad. Way to go. Good job. You know, 32 years. Okay. But you know... What's really, seriously, what do you think the cheating rate is? It's pretty big. So, you know, if all you're doing is looking at a little porn here and there, it's not a big deal. He just wants to negotiate you down. Right, he comes to you and says, you know, I know, I know you really want to guard your kids. I know you want to guard your kids. I know you want to have them godly and strong. But dude, the soccer tournaments, they only get to play if they're willing to play on Sunday. He wants to negotiate you down from your life's great work. He'll do anything he can to sweet talk you into killing you. It's exactly what happens to Nehemiah. I love this. Of the whole story of Nehemiah, this is my favorite part. Of this whole story in all five weeks that we're talking, this is my favorite part right here. The enemy comes to Nehemiah and seeks to talk him down, negotiate him down. So Sanballat and, the, and Geshem, they came to Nehemiah and they say this, hey, come, let's meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. In other words, look, you've been working so hard You've been built, you're doing a great, a great job. You're doing a great, you're building the wall. You know, you probably deserve a, a break. Why don't you, let, let us buy you lunch. Just come on down. Come down and, and focus on something else. Focus on yourself for just a minute. Come to Hakafirim. You know where that is? Neither do I. <laughs> Nobody knows where Hakafirim is. It's not a, it's not a place that we know today. But the word Hakafirim just means small town, a small village down in the plain of Ono. Come to this small village. In other words, you're doing this great work, but hey, I got something for you in this small, insignificant nothing. If you'll just come on down, you know, we'll buy you lunch, we'll, we'll hang out, we'll talk, and maybe it'll lead to peace talks and an agreement between us. The enemy is great at making something insignificant look hugely important and distracting you from your life's work. And they're so close, they're so close, it's almost finished. Uh, the passage here says that they're finished with the walls and almost all they gotta do now is hang the doors on the hinges. Isn't it right that right when you think everything's almost finished and going really well, right when you think it's all going real well, that's when Satan comes and attacks, am I right? That's what's going on here. They're so close. They're so close to getting done. And they're like, just come on, come on down. But Nehemiah knew 
that this was his life's work. He knew that this was so important that if he went down, if he came down, he knew, he knew something more was up than just buying lunch. In fact, here's what he says. He says, I knew that they intended to do me harm. He knew that if he came down from this great work, from the thing God had called him to do, that they were gonna kill him. And he knew this was so important that it wouldn't be just him that died, but he knew that this work would end if they killed him. It would discourage everybody, they'd all lose hope, and Sanballat would have his way with the people of Israel. So this is why this is my favorite part. Nehemiah has this incredible resolve. He makes this incredible, resolute statement that if you and I, if you and I can just get this idea down in our heads and in our hearts, whenever the enemy comes to us and says, hey, hey, I know you're doing a great work. I know you're giving your all for your family. I know you're, you're staying pure for your spouse. I, I know you're, you're doing everything you can to bring unity where there's strife. I know you're working hard. Why don't you get focused on the Hakafirim for a minute? Just kind of come, take a break. God will be okay with it and they'll be okay with it. Just take a break. But he's really intending to destroy you. If we can just get Nehemiah's answer here down, I think it'll change the direction of our families. Are you ready to see what he says? Because what he says is powerful. I love this. One of my life verses. Here's what he says to Sam Ballot. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing what God's called me to do and I'm not gonna get distracted. I'm becoming the person God wants me to become and I'm building something for his great glory and I'm not gonna get distracted by any little hack of that's only going to potentially destroy everything I'm out to do. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Jace, you've begun this yourself. As you're graduating now, everything you've been doing the last few years has been starting to lay the blocks of what your life is going to be, of what kind of person you are, what kind of integrity you're going to have, what kind of spouse you'll ultimately marry, what kind of family you will ultimately build. Everything you've been doing is starting to lay the blocks into that wall. And the decisions that you'll be making, Jace, over the coming months and years are really going to determine that person that you are going to be. You're going to start building your own family, your own life, your own direction. And Satan is going to come to you and say, hey, 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 you know, I see you working hard, but look at everybody else. Nobody else is working at this. Nobody else has this goal in mind. Nobody else really has a plan. Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you get focused on what they're doing? Why don't you get focused on this other thing? Why don't you just come down from that wall and do something else for a minute? And you will say, I'm doing a great work and I can not come down because you know that what you are building is your life's great work and that it matters, that everything you do matters 
and will echo into not just the next few generations, but into eternity. So for all of us, all of us, I want us to live like Nehemiah. So the next blank on your page is this. My job is to say I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down because he wants to attack you and distract you and bring you off of that great work so that your family will stay in disarray and disaster. But when he comes to you, you will say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. This is who he calls you to be because he wants you to create a strong, godly marriage. He wants you to be the servant leader to your spouse. He wants you to raise those kids to love Jesus. He wants you to be blessed as a peacemaker in your family. He wants you to do the work of closing the gaps in your wall. So I got to wrap this up. Nehemiah 6, 15, uh, Nehemiah writes, so the wall was finished on the fifth day of the month of Elul. We finished it in just 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us, the ones that were mocking us, the ones that were threatening us, they were all now afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem for they realized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. They knew this wasn't just a group of people building and working hard. They knew there was something bigger behind this. And so they backed off and the attacks came, they slowed down because they knew that God was on our side. Let me tell you something, the more you build, the stronger the fortification gets and the less the enemy has to work with against you. Build your house. Last blank on your page, God alone gives the strength to build your house. This is your life's great work. This is your house to build. So build your house so that your family will stand, so the enemy will be defeated, and so God will be glorified. Amen? Amen. 